Hey everyone, Joe here. In this episode, Scott and I got the chance to catch up with one of our dearest friends, Hope Skabitsky, the Command Chief Master Sergeant of the 27th Special Operations Wing at Cannon Air Force Base, New Mexico. During our chat, we explored the evolution of her leadership, the negative impact of gossip, the power of positive intent, and we laughed a lot. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Live, learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on life, learning, and leadership. I'm Joe Bogdan, and I have with me one of my very best friends, Dub Scott Green. What's up, Scott? What's happening, Joseph? Uh, not much, man. What's the weather really like call- over there? You said it's gloomy? It's gloomy. I don't really call you Joseph, so that was weird. Sorry about that. Yeah, usually you call me Brosif, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a little bit different. Yeah, it's gloomy. It's, cool. it's Yeah, it's gloomy, uh, but that's okay. If you're going to be stuck yeah. inside all day, at least let it be rainy, right? Yeah, it's um, it's starting to get hot here in Vacaville. It's it's reached the 90s, so I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be great. <laughs> but, it's sweat, hey. sweat equity weather. Get out there yes, and absolutely. <laughs> hey, so today we have a very special guest with us, don't we, Scott? Yes, we do. And and by looking at the screenshot, it looks like she's actually sitting in a literal llama lounge. It's yes, very- it does. It's very relaxing looking. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like just knowing her, she would have done that just for this. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, so, so we have with us Hope Skabitsky, one of me and Scott's very dear friends. How's it going, Hope? How's it going, you guys? Good to see you again. I feel like it's been forever. Even though Scott says it really hasn't been so long. Well, for you and me, it was like, what, two years ago, I think, when you came down Mm. to, uh, she was the uh, keynote speaker at a graduation ceremony that I was putting on. So thank you for coming down, Hope. Appreciate that. No. So I have to tell you, I'm going to start this off on a low note, but I promise it's a good thing. I couldn't be more grateful. That is one of the last times I got to see my brother alive. So uh-huh. it was a really, uh-huh. really great opportunity. So I, I couldn't be more grateful for having gotten to go and see you then. Well, I, I appreciate yeah. you coming down. Yeah. I think um, for me and Hope, it's been a long time. It's been probably since peanut butter jelly times way back at Travis. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Peanut butter jelly time. That's right. <laughs> oh, right. oh, it really has. Yeah. I just follow you on uh, every social media platform, so I feel like I see you more frequently. Oh, yeah. That, that is cool. We get to stay connected that way, though, for sure. <laughs> and we have Instagram, don't we, Joe? Yes, we do. Scott just learned about that a couple of days ago. He just realized that we have an Instagram account <laughs> for the Lama Lounge. <laughs> it's cool. It, it's, it's cool. I mean, my back is hurting a little bit today because I've been carrying Scott a little bit more than normal, but it's just, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> it's starting off good. <laughs> so, hey, for, for, for our listeners, um, so, uh, most oh, most everybody on this planet pretty much knows who Hope is. <laughs> but just in case, some of the few that do not, uh, Hope is an Air Force senior <laughs> enlisted leader, and she is currently the Command Chief Master of the 27th Special Operations Wing at Cannon Air Force Base, New Mexico. And she's transitioning this year to go to Ramstein to be the Command Chief of the 86th. You must be really looking forward to that, aren't you? Uh, I'm super excited. I always love getting to go to Europe. So... Yeah. I mean, it'll be really good. I'll tell you, though, it'll leave a big 
soul and the heart to leave Canon. This has been an amazing assignment. It's really good. Yeah, I bet. And you know, um, so many, it's one of those assignments. We've talked to a couple people on this podcast where they bring up assignments like Ielsen, uh, maybe um, Ellsworth or a Canon and yeah, Minot. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, people have these, these um, preconceived notions on whether or not that assignment is going to be a good one or not. And uh, I, I've act, a couple people I've talked to that's been to Canon. They've actually said the great things about it. And so um, I think it's awesome. Tell us about Canon a little bit and maybe some of the, um, what you guys do over the 27th, because uh, we haven't had anybody on here that had a mission set like you do. So it's really great. We're one of only two host wings in Air Force Special Operations Command. Um, we have a really big in garrison as well as alert mission. Uh, We have several different platforms, all of which are very specific to SOF. And so we execute specialized air power from a premier installation is what we do here at Canon. It's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah, that sounds like it. So what, uh, how's, um, how's the area too? What's, what's the the bonuses and some of the things that might've surprised you about going over there? Oh, so I, had never thought New Mexico until New Mexico thought me. So when I got yeah. here, I had only ever heard all the scary boogeyman stories about it. So I had fully expected mm-hmm. like dirt roads and covered wagons and tumbleweeds. <laughs> um, I got the tumbleweed. <laughs> I got the tumbleweed. In Those that. do there exist. Plenty of that yeah. to go around. Oh my gosh. Um, and there is wind here. Like I have mm-hmm. never seen anywhere. They call, mm-hmm. um, the Delta breeze has nothing on this. So the whole time I was at Travis and all the trees like grew sideways. I thought, wow, it's like the most windy place. No, 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 no. Come, come visit Canon. This, this is where the wind lives. Um, but the towns are great. I mean, there's, there's a couple of, uh, pretty medium sized towns around, but the community connection, how much they love the military, it's really, really welcoming. Um, but man, you're a stone's throw from Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Amarillo, Colorado Springs, Rio Doso. I mean, there's just so many things within arm's reach, skiing, boating, hiking, camping. If you're an outdoorsman, you'd absolutely love it here. But there's there's a lot of growing happening. And so um, I have been pleasantly surprised at how not boondockish this was, because <laughs> I will tell you, that's what everyone had me believe. I, I had a friend of mine that said I would crawl from Cannon to any other base um, when he found out he was getting an assignment to Cannon. And and I tell you what, we talked about this on another episode, like every installation, every assignment is really what you make of it. And we don't want that to sound cliche at all. But, it, you know, when I look at Cannon, I see that everyone has a specific, like everyone, it sounds like everyone knows what their mission is. Like there's a there's a culture that understands what they're all about. And it's not just a bunch of, separated organizations like it sounds like everyone is on board with the mission oh couldn't be more true right job satisfaction leads to a lot of other satisfaction and we all know there's people that are you know unhappy at disneyland so you're going to find those people everywhere me. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah scott, scott doesn't like disneyland <laughs> but, but that's awesome thank you for sharing that because i think um it can give a lot of people some various perspectives on an assignment that maybe they didn't feel would be desirable but um it's a place that um i think that it definitely you said if you can have that job satisfaction connected to uh what you're doing you have some purpose there and then it'll translate to so many more things when you're off duty as well so 
Awesome. But so, hey, you know, it's been a while. Like I said, the peanut butter jelly days, uh, that was back when um, Hope was a career assistance advisor at Travis and I was the Airman and Family Readiness Center guy. And Scott would come over, hang out with us from nutritional medicine and we'd do some cool things. Um, so a lot of people well, were like, oh, like peanut jelly. CAA right. of the year. He was the very right. last CAA of the year in the oh, Air Force. Yeah. So I couldn't help but hang around <laughs> such greatness. I mean, he set the cutoff in his <laughs> AFST. I, I, don't know if I, was that, I don't know if I was that good of a CAA because they did away with the award afterwards. So yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Well, did it? Did it? Did they? Did they make it look like you? Like you had the hair and everything? <laughs> no, but but you know what's funny is um, we were talking about the enlisted heritage hall at uh, yeah. Gunter the other day. Yeah. I was mm -hmm. on the wall there for about three years for the CA of the Year award because <laughs> the award had gone away. But they so no, there were no new CAAs of the year. They just kind of changed it. I think they morphed it into FSS. Like it was a. I think it became like an FSS senior NCO of the year or something like, like that. Like an A1 and so I was on, Yeah, so I was, on the, I was on the wall for a couple of years there, and I would have people who would go TDY, and they'd send me pictures of them sit, standing next to the, my picture. I'm like, that thing's still up? That was like two years ago, three years ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But a little yeah, so bit of it was, it's, <laughs> Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> I, I think I got a picture of you there, too, so with me, <laughs> selfie. <laughs> so... Um, it's been a long time. And you know, one of the things that we kind of wanted to ask you, Hope, was um, through the transition of where, you know, when was the last time we worked together to where you're at now, um, where, how is your thinking and maybe even your leadership philosophy might have evolved, right? I mean, like, because we're always growing, we're always evolving to mm -hmm. different levels. And you went from um, when I knew you, um, you know, senior mass sergeant, then making chief, and then, you know, now, now you're command chief at a very special place, too, with a very special mission. Um, what are some things that um, might have changed or evolved and grew um, in your thinking and your leadership? So I will tell you, I had a very siloed career. So mo most of what I'd ever done besides the special duties was medical. I mean, it was medical. I, I had rarely done anything that wasn't medically specific. And so having the opportunity to go back and be the chief of BMT, interacting with people, everybody was interested. I mean, when you were the sole source for enlisted people in the Air Force, everybody wants their say on how it's done and everybody wants to know how you're doing it and everybody wants to tell you how well you are are not accomplishing it. And so I had to learn a lot about communicating with people, thinking from other people's perspectives, like why did they want to give me their input? Why did they want, and it's because they're interested in the product they get on the other end, right? And so I, I guess I'd never really thought about that. Um, I know that sounds ignorant, but you don't know what you don't know. And so until I'd had the opportunity to go back and do that, I was having to look at it from the training perspective. How do we make sure we're training them at a point at which they can understand it when so much is coming at them? How do we mm -hmm. take care of the military training instructor? Obviously, because lots of misperceptions about what goes on down there and who they are and what they're doing. Um, but to make sure that they feel supported in doing what they do, because they are the only ones who can, right? And then how do I look at it from the perspective of the customer that's receiving the product that we're creating? And so how do you please all three um, when they're vastly different where they stand? Um, and then making the transition obviously to a command chief and then not just a command chief, but a command chief in SOF. Um, I have had to step away from a lot of the, the original thoughts that I had, which were very tactically minded. Um, there's a lot more thought on how do you get up above the 30,000 and then what are you looking at and how do you not try to be the subject matter expert on every single little thing because a lot of stuff is is wave tops and then 
trusting, right? Leaving things to the people who are those experts and then, you know, going back and verifying that they're, they're getting after the intent of your commander. And so I will tell you, it has been a huge growth experience for me and it has not been without its fair share of stumbles. That's the truth. So yeah. how, how do you, so knowing you, as long as we've known you, and we know that you're a very high touch person, meaning that you make personal connections, it seems like with everybody that you meet, how, how do you transfer that, I guess, that talent or that, uh, that identity as you grow in your career? Because, you know, when you're a career assistance advisor or where you're a medic, you're doing face-to-face, -face, you know, with individuals. And then as you move on to, you know, be, becoming the chief at BMT and then becoming a command chief, how, how, how does that affect you, one, as far as is there a separation between you and individuals? And, and how do you manage all that? So I'll tell you, there, there was a time when I got a little um, dismayed because I thought maybe that there was less connectivity. Because when you go back to be the chief of BMT, you don't get to work with the individual airmen, which is the part that you're so familiar with. You tend to try to find your way back there. But you have to back up and realize, how do I support the people that are making that happen? And so I realized that there was as much touch time um, developmentally with the people that were developing the resource. And so I just had to capitalize on that, which was yeah. amazing because I will tell you, the military training instructors are not the only ones in BMT, that's the ones we see, but there's like a thousand support staff that are helping them get after all the things that they do. And so taking the time to professionally develop all of those folks, helped them take care of the MTIs that helped the MTIs take care of the recruits. And so it just made me realize I had as much um, influence and opportunity to, nice. to bond and connect with people. I just had to go at it from a different stance. Um, and then coming into soft, it was very different because I'll tell you, and I don't mean physically, but as a medic, I don't look like everybody else. I don't look at things the same as everybody else. And um, I, having looked at it, and I'm going to say it like from a mom's point of view, because I'm a I am a mom and being a woman in, in a command chief position in a special operations wing where women had not served in this particular position before, I came in with a totally different view. When the commander hired me, he said, look, only 23% of what we do here is operations. The other 77% is the combat support that makes sure we can do those things. And I need you to help me understand how to take care of them. And I thought, oh, that's oh. fabulous, right? Because <laughs> oh. I know how to take care of airmen, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes! Uh, I can do that. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. That's, a, that's what I was actually going to ask you was, you know, even though you're in an environment that's not, you know, typically filled by a female medic. That, that must have brought such a great perspective to that wing. Um, and, and like you said, you can reframe and approach um, problems that might be there from a whole different angle and, and just, and there's so much more value there because there's females in the wing, you know, I mean, you have perspectives there. And um, I think that's a great, that's a great thing to have that representation. And it's awesome that a leader wanted to, wanted that. And, you know, when they called you and mm -hmm. talked to you about mm -hmm. it, and that's just phenomenal. And that puts a lot of faith back into the system that, you know, we're looking for the right people to be in the right jobs. I agree. And I'll tell you, I was intimidated because I thought, oh my gosh, the opportunity to serve in AFSOC, like, oh, I don't know very much about special operations and I have my preconceived notions and um, I'm going to get laughed at. And so you try in the beginning not to say anything because you don't want anybody to know how much you don't know. Um, and so it's, it's just really intimidating. But I will tell you, I got the best advice um, from the MAVCOM command chief at the time. And he said, 
don't pretend to know. They'll figure you out in a minute and that'll just not go mm -hmm. well. Let them know you don't know and they'll walk you through it. And so I have found that to be the most sage advice because the best thing I've learned about AFSOC is they love to teach. People want to show you what they do. They want to show you what they know. They want to demonstrate their expertise and they'll let you um, turn the wrench for lack of better terms, you know, hang on to the cord, be a part of everything. They want you to come be a part of it. And so I've gotten to learn from the experts and I've learned so much more because they've individually sort of walked me through what they but observation it has been phenomenal because none of them expected me to know they're like oh you're a medic oh you hadn't been in AFSOC before oh yeah come come we'll show you and I was like brilliant right like it was it was fantastic all of the the preconceived notions I had that everybody was going to cast me out for not being one of the gang they not only enveloped me and brought me in but they literally were interested in showing me what they do and it's just been phenomenal so, so you're saying those immersion briefings actually are important, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But I will tell you, this immersion was very different. When they're like, hey, have you ever been on a CB-22? And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, Osprey? They're talking, like, right? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Osprey? I'm like, is that a candy? And they're like, no. <laughs> it's a tilt rotor. And I'm like, a what? And so they're like, well, come on. And so then I got to get in one and yeah. hang my feet out of the back of one and watch them do what they do. And I will tell you, my mouth was agape the entire time. Like, you guys do this like it's nobody's business. And I'm over here trying not to cry because it's it's frightening, yeah. you know, for the newbie. So right. it was great. Yeah. And, and also the Osprey, um, the nickname of of that is the Seahawk. So that, that is awesome. One of the, the greatest aircraft in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that, that, that's really that's really cool. Joe's a Seahawks. If you guys didn't know, Joe's a Seahawks fan. So, <laughs> but uh, that is really cool. So now I got a selfish question for you, Hope. Uh, oh, <laughs> just something that I kind of wanted to know. So yeah. you said that you know there was that transition moment where you started looking at stuff from that strategic view, from where you were, right? And it's coming up. Was that something that you feel? Um, you could have been prepared for more or is that something that you felt like, you know, we're just going to learn once we move into those positions. Um, I feel like it's one of those things you, you have to learn when you get in it. Think about being a dad, right? Like the mm -hmm. very first time somebody says, Oh, are you ready? And you're like, Oh, I don't know. And it's not until the first time you have the kid and it pukes on you. And then it's running a fever or, you, and you've just got to figure mm -hmm. your way through it. No amount of somebody's book is going to tell you about it. No amount of somebody walking you through, it's going to make you understand it. It's, it's you being in it and understanding it for the very first time. Cause you can have background working knowledge of what do I do when I get there, but that doesn't prepare you for the there that it is when it's your truth. And so I think you yeah. have to just, you have to just get in it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I was, I've been, um, you know, uh, it's a path that I, I personally would like to get to one day, but I'm not trying to speed there. I want to take my time and gain my experience on the way there. And, you know, there's like two schools of thought is like, you're going to figure it out when you get there or you should, you know, take the time to prepare. And I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle there, but, uh, but it's great to hear your perspective on that as well. I think the middle is perfect, right? Don't walk in mm -hmm. blind, you know, have the Cliff's Notes version, be prepared with a notepad and, you know, at least be knowledgeable of, you know, what the situation is that you're walking into, but you can't know what it is you're going to see until you get there and see it. And, and better than that, 
don't walk in with somebody else's opinion of the strategic view because then that blinds you to what you might be capable of bringing to the conversation. If you go in with an open mind and a clear head, then that gets back to remember the old days of MRT when they say have the growth mindset. If you walk in with a mind that's ready to receive information and it's not clouded with somebody else's perspective, it'll give you the opportunity to be the fresh breath that, you know, they're looking for. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I was, I was always looking for advice from some amazing people. So <laughs> that was my that was that was my one selfish question I had for for each of these podcasts. All right, Scott, I already already cashed right. that one in. So 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 my one selfish question is, uh, where does your energy come from, Hope? Uh, because you're you're somebody that, and I remember back in the day hanging out with you that is nonstop, right? Whether it's events, bouncing whether, off the walls, whether it's hugs, <laughs> selfies. Like even like while I'm watching this grin to grin or, or uh, what is it? What's the term? Cheek to cheek, ear to ear, ear to ear, grin. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. like yeah. you have this yeah. uh, amazing energy that um, I look at her. I'm like, ah, hope she's doing it again. <laughs> she slow down, right? But you're driving everybody nuts. No, um, but so where does that come from for you? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I just I. I can't think of a thing I like better than smiling and laughing and I love interacting with people. I feel like it's infectious and you, you know, it is in today's day and age where we all wear the face coverings and you go to take a picture, you can see people trying to smile right. behind the mask. Like yeah. even if you know they can't see the smile, you can't help it. And so yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I would just prefer to be like the little ball on the men in black, right? You just let it loose and watch it bounce all over the place. Like I, it's just more fun like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like the was that what is it back in the day? The was it the man? It's a Gumby Bears or was it on back in the day when um it was on the Disney afternoon? Those those bears are just oh, bouncing all over the place. What? Oh, How I'm old are you, Joe? What are you talking uh, about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, back in the oh. day, back in the day for me was Felix the Cat in black and white, not <laughs> Disney afternoon. <laughs> about <laughs> oh man okay I was, all right yeah i forgot i forgot just thinking back in the day for me i was like oh is on <laughs> <laughs> when he said that scott i was thinking like teletubbies and care bears had a baby i'm gonna think of that i'm gonna remember that before this podcast is over the name of that thing cartoon i can't remember what it was but. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, sweet. But, all right let's get this back on the rails real quick <laughs> so hey hope you know a while just okay. a little while ago it wasn't even that long ago um you wrote like an awesome article for um our llama lounge and we really appreciate that um you can tell you put a lot of thought into it and it was called words matter and there was a couple of big points to it but one of the ones that i really noticed um that you kind of hit hard on was you know the impact of emotions and um how you know they, they can come up they can control us in a negative way or a positive way and that we can um kind of capitalize on that positive emotion uh, and a, and at least a response to it so what what kind of drove you to kind of you know uh, flesh out that thought on paper Pastor too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I feel like there's, there's several different ways that people 
communicate, right? There's the way that's intended and there's the way that's received. Mm -hmm. And so I can deliver a message with a thousand good bits of intent. um, And then you might receive it the way I intended. And then you might Mm -hmm. receive it completely askew because of either your background, your experiences, your relationship with me, your unfamiliarity with me. Um, And so one of the things that I always try to do myself is because sometimes people will say things or do things that'll immediately want to spin me up. And I'll think on the inside of my head, like, what did they just say? Um, And so I'll actually have to stop and go, wait, 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 wait. I'm sure that's not what they meant. I'm sure that's not what they meant. Nobody could want to like pick a scab like that. So I like to clarify. So I will often reach out to somebody and say, hey, so the thing that you said, can you elaborate on that a little bit? And sometimes it's exactly what I thought it was. But most of the time it's, oh, well, here's what I actually meant by that. I'm like, that is way de-escalating that you just took the time to, you know, but I don't think a lot of people take the time to figure out what somebody's intent was. They feel comfortable, confident, and entitled to their um, skewed interpretation of the message. And then they hate somebody forever over it. And I think, well, why would you damage a relationship like that or never form one because you allowed yourself to be steered by miscommunication? But I think the second thing that I was trying to get across in that is that we have a really bad habit as people of talking about people instead of talking to them. And I I just think that that is awful. And I wish we would do a better job of just communicating. Like, Joe, you wouldn't know if you had something on your cheek. If I wasn't willing Mm -hmm. to tell you you had something on your cheek, then you would know now because you're looking in the camera. But Mm -hmm. if if I didn't say, hey, Joe, you, you you got something on your cheek. Like mm-hmm. you wouldn't know that. And it's kind of jerk face of me not to at least communicate that to you, but it'd be easy for me to go, Hey Scott, did you see that thing on Joe's face the whole time we were talking? Mm-hmm. Like what a mm-hmm. jerk. I will never build a good relationship with you. I will never be a good person to you or for you. If I'm not willing to protect you enough to take care of you like that. And so I just wish as humans, I mean, I'm an idealist, but I just wish as humans, we would just communicate better, you know, see things with the intent to believe that somebody's trying to do the right thing, clarify when, you know, when we don't think it meets that. And then just to openly and transparently communicate with one another, I feel like we could really just put cards on the table. And I just see so much backstabbing and, and I say so much, I'm not kidding. I, I just watch people just be ugly hearted to other people. And man, especially in today's day and age where social media allows you to hide comfortably behind your IP address, people are vicious. Yeah, it's a shame too, because you know, people are more willing to kind of sit around and gossip and dogpile on somebody else. And and the, the person that's not in the conversation is usually the target of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when's the last time a group got together other than, you know, some kind of event praising a person and just said, man, that Joe is a good guy. You know, that, that yeah. whole, she's, a, she's a great girl. Like we don't do that. Um, and, and I wish we did more of that because the truth is, when you are in that little circle and you're gossiping or dogpiling or whatever it is on somebody that's not there, it, you're putting it out there, right? And, mm-hmm. and if you're gonna talk negative about me, excuse me, if, if you're gonna talk to me and share things negative to me about somebody else when they're not there, what's to say you're not gonna do the same thing when I'm not in that conversation? Right, right, yeah. and. And I kind of wonder, like, you know, I think um, what you said, Hope, about just, I want to, you know, you want to make the assumption that it's coming from a good place, right? When somebody communicates something, you want to go ahead and do that. And I think 
that's a great perspective to have. And some people are afraid to do that because they feel like they're going to come off as naive or something. And I think if I'm wrong a couple times out of the 10 times, you know, or 20 or 30, um, it's worth it to, to at least, at mm -hmm. least hope, right. And then make the assumption that they didn't mean it in that negative way. They meant it in a positive way. And, and, uh, and if I'm wrong, it's okay. Right. I mean, <laughs> what's, what's, what did I lose there? They already said something bad about me and it meant to be bad about me. You know, I'm in the same place yeah. as I was. So those are um, great I perspectives I have. I would much rather be wrong, assuming the best of you mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. to cast a shade at you and then mm -hmm. be wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause how much more damaging is that to the relationship? Absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. Just, Ugh. Yeah. And, yeah I, I and I love the way too, you term you said, uh, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, oh I think there was something also in your, um, uh, in your article that I really appreciated was like missteps aren't always crimes. You know, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's just because someone made a mistake. It doesn't mean you got to like, <laughs> crucify them for it. Right. And I think those are great perspectives to have as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many times have I made a mistake? Oh, oh my gosh. Like, I'm, I'm sure I couldn't catalog it. It would end up being like a Webster's Dictionary fit. Hold right? on. Like, you... I got a book here. Yeah, he keeps a log on all of us. <laughs> just, just... <laughs> it's an old green book. He couldn't separate yeah. himself from the military. He still has a green notebook <laughs> for CQ. <laughs> CQ. QC? CQ. <laughs> With the canvas cover. That's yeah. right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> But, but you know, like I, I, I have made my fair share of mistakes. And so for me to walk around, like I have never made a mistake. It, it, how, how false would that be? Like just, just so conceited. And so I, I absolutely despise when people forget that they too have made mistakes in their life. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean mistakes. I don't mean crimes, right? People are like, oh, it's a one mistake Air Force. I'm like, no, it's not. Like I've met plenty of people that have Article 15s. Mm -hmm. I've met right. plenty of people that have had LOCs and LORs. They make it to chief. I'm like, I've met plenty of those people. So it's not a one mistake Air Force. It's a one crime Air Force. Um, but I think a lot of people just, just like um, the word toxicity, right? If I were to say, oh, they're a toxic leader. If I were to ask 20 people to identify their description of toxic, we're going to get 42 different definitions because it is so subjective. And it often means I didn't get my way. That's not all encompassing. But what I mean by that, when somebody says um, that, that it's a one mistake Air Force, it often means that they violated something. You were six minutes late to work or 12 minutes late to work and you got an LOC. Boom, it's a one mistake Air Force. Force because I got an LOC. I'm like, well, no, because the LOC is corrective action. Absolutely. And so it's it's supposed to be given to you so that you don't do that again. And so that's not one mistake. Like you you violated the thing, right? And so then you you got something to correct the thing. And then you're still promotable with an LOC. You can still get awards and decorations with an LOC. You can still, you know, PCS with an LOC. So it's like what did it do except hopefully correct the behavior? And so I think what people mean often, and this is generalizing, but when people say, oh, it's a one mistake Air Force, they mean someone should have just let me off with that and not have held mm -hmm. me to account for it because, you know, I made a mistake. Okay, you made a mistake. Doesn't mean we shouldn't document that. Right. <clears throat> and, and, I, and I've seen so many times where people were sort of, you know, quote unquote, let off the hook. You know, hey, we, we, sh we should have given them the LOC. We should have done this. Mm -hmm. 
And it's almost like that, like we've talked about before, a standard unchecked is a new standard, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't do that initial small little thing, just, hey, it's a simple piece of paperwork. I'm your supervisor. You're the, the subordinate. This is a business contract. You do what you're supposed to do. We're good. You make this one mistake. This is what I'm obligated to do just to get you on the right track. But how many times have you seen it where that supervisor says, well, I'm, I'm going to give you this LLC, but I'm going to keep it in my desk drawer. Oh, man, that's the best. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's two LOCs. And all right, this is the other one. I'm going to keep this in my desk drawer. And then all of a sudden, you got a, uh, you know, a new pattern going on. So um, for the for the younger, you know, what, what advice would you give to sort of like the, the younger airmen, you know, one stripers, two stripers who may encounter some sort of pushback or some sort of uh, correction that's probably needed? So, I mean, I feel like one, you learn a lot from those events because they create an emotional event. And so you'll yeah. remember that. And so it'll keep you hopefully from stepping back on that landmine. It's kind of like remembering where there's potholes in the road. You've driven that road enough times, you know, the potholes there, you know, to go around it so that you don't end up screwing up the, you know, um, balancing on your steering wheel. And so I think that if people could just take corrections, kind of like we say, everybody's like, oh, I really want feedback. They want feedback until it's, you know, negative feedback. And then they didn't really want the feedback, right? They only want good feedback. And so I don't think that good feedback is the only way that people grow. And so I think when the airman gets the correction or the airman gets the LOC or the airman gets steered back on track, they should see that as somebody cared enough about me to say something. Otherwise, they can only walk yeah. around with something on my face, you know? Yeah, yeah I hear you. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, yeah, I was, I was saying, like, even, you know, I think that takes a lot of maturity. And uh, even, you know, and even now today, if I get some harsh critical feedback, which, you know, we still get and we all still need to grow. Mm -hmm. um, there's that immediate feeling of, like getting defensive, right? But you can take that <laughs> moment to kind of, kind of, kind of, you know, take a moment, breathe and realize you should be grateful for that feedback, right? I mean, because it's not because it takes some courage to even yeah, provide yeah. it to you, right? And then, and then you gave some, me an LLC, but people around here are doing this and that and the other. Oh, it's those like, are the best. Those are the best. It's <laughs> <laughs> like we're talking about you right now, buddy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know the other thing is too. What you talked about was um. That's is, exactly right. I I think there's too many um supervisors to go back to what scott was talking about sometimes supervisors are afraid to instill discipline because they just immediately think you know now they're the bad guy when to me and i know all of us kind of feel the same way is instilling discipline is also serving your airmen or serving your mm -hmm. subordinates serving your people because if you're disciplined and not being punished but if you're disciplined in what you're doing you're going to be more successful in not just being an airman or a technician but in life overall you're just gonna it's, it's gonna translate to so many more things and I'll also just add on that, it's when you are giving that feedback, that corrective feedback, you also have to uh, explain why that standard exists. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of people make that mistake is, you know, I was only 10 minutes late. Well, do you understand what 10 minutes late can mean uh, to someone who you're replacing on shift? Do you know what 10 minutes late can mean? Like if you're a security forces member, and you don't get armed up on time, you know, what is that 10 minutes is a big deal. So, um, and, and again, it's it's preventative from making that issue a, a larger one. So you, you catch it at the smallest level and then you, uh, again, let them know where they need to improve on, but at the same time, explain why that standard exists. And I know Hope, I know you are huge on customs and courtesies. 
right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember back at Travis, you had that one uh, little walkway that was, people would walk out of the, <laughs> the education <laughs> with no hat on, and you were like, excuse me, you jump out of your office and you go, excuse me, sir, uh, this is, uh, you have to have your hat on here. But there's no sign that says I have to hat on, have to have a hat on. And I remember you going, why would there need to be a sign that tells us you have to have a hat on? Like, and, and what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is some airman down the street just saw you walk out of the building without a hat on. And now that airman's going to build it on their case that they can do the same thing. And so there's always that trickle effect if you don't catch those little things right off the bat. And there's a lot of argument that are those really important to the mission? And I'll say, yeah, they are. And not just to the mission, but, you know, even though I'm a retiree of the Air Force, I still defend the Air Force. I still love the Air Force. And I still appreciate the customs and courtesies and the culture of the Air Force. And when we fight about whether or not you should be able to put your hands in your pockets or we should all be able to wear beards or not, I get to because I'm retired. But, you know, the people that want to, you know, we should be able to wear beards. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a culture thing. It's customs and courtesies. Um, and those are all standards that exist for a reason. Yeah. And at the risk of sounding like a complete fangirl, I will tell you when my new MAGCOM commander came in the door, uh, it was like warm chocolate being poured over my heart. It was amazing because when he, he walked in the door, <laughs> he said that he is a stickler for correcting even the tiniest of things because, you know, like Joe said, a normalization of the deviation of a standard makes that thing tolerable. You have just created mm -hmm. a new standard, which mm -hmm. could be detrimental. And so he often um, got criticized throughout his career. Like, come on, sir, is there really like, aren't there bigger things for us to worry about? And he was like, you're hundred percent right. There are bigger things for us to worry about. So why don't you do that little thing so we can get on with the big mm -hmm. things. Um, and so he, it, I just think that people tend to forget that, you know, we work for the court of public opinion. And so the, America's population wants to know that we are upholding the standard, that we're disciplined enough to follow orders, that when ceasefire is called, we'll cease fire. But when, you know, gung-ho is needed, we're ready. And so I think that even though it's a tiny button or it's a hat or it's a, a whether or not you stand up when somebody senior is talking to you, it's not about the act itself. It's about the discipline to follow those things. And so I personally appreciate them because I feel like if you build on those little things, you don't have to try to build a house at the end because you've got all of the structure there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. right. Those small deviations. I mean, it might, some people might find that it's very hard to make that connection, but every little deviation is kind of leaves the door open to bigger deviations. Right. And if you're the closer you are to the operational or anything that you're working on, that's unsafe, the more likely something bad's going to happen. So that's why it's so important to do those little things. Um, and yeah, I think that that's a great attitude to have. And I think um, instilling that discipline, I used to think back in the day, I was like, how can you expect these guys to go do R-rated stuff downrange and come back and be G-rated, you know, at home station? I, I just literally had that mind. I was like, it doesn't even seem like it's fair, but in the end, it's discipline, right? Because if you yeah. expect them to be able to control themselves when they have someone's life in their hands, um, you know, why can't they keep themselves disciplined at home station and turn it off? You have to be able to turn it on and turn it off. Now, that's not easy, though. I only imagine that it, that could be very difficult, but it's something that we have to control continuously uh, make a habit for us. And, you're and you're right. I, go ahead. Hope. No, no, I was gonna say you're right. And it's the company you keep, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're around a bunch of people that are like, oh my gosh, you're so ate up. Well, then you'll tend to shy down a little bit because you're afraid 
kind of, you know, being chastised by your friends or whatever, but are they real friends if they're trying to talk you out of what looks like the right thing? And so sometimes it's the company you keep. So I, I would just say, you know, uh, I forget where I read it, but there's a great little saying that says, you know, you're the, uh, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so they're like, are you bringing up the average? And so I just mm -hmm. choose not to hang around with people that I feel are going to bring down the average. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, my, I, and I can say that there are moments in my career that I have regret uh, for not being around the right five people. Uh, there, there are moments early on in my career where I was like, we were just all about having a good time. We were all about going out and going to concerts and doing that. And we weren't about professional development. We weren't about education. We weren't about any of that stuff because we just wanted to have fun. And because I always associated having fun with not being very military. And so I've learned over the years that you can really progress your career. You can really progress your, your quality of life by surrounding yourself with those, those, those type of people that all want to grow and help you grow at the same time. And so if you're not around those people, you only have yourself to blame for the trajectory of your career, right? You can't say, I want, I should get promoted every single time, but you're doing the things that you shouldn't be doing. I should get recognized for this, but you're not doing the things that you should be doing. And it's not even always doing things that you should be doing. It's doing those self-defeating things that you shouldn't be doing. So it's not even always on the positive side, but it's going all the way to the negative. No, I agree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because what you brought up about the, um, about making sure people understand why the standard's there. I think there's, there's a part there where a lot of our young supervisors or even some of our more seasoned supervisors don't even know why that standard is there. And that's probably why they have a hard time uh, instilling discipline because they, they don't have any clue themselves. It's like, it's a checklist. Just do this. this is, it says so. So do it. And yeah, why don't you internalize that a little bit? <laughs> You're spot on, Joe. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is, is wrong with a lot of us is that mm -hmm. we're headliners like you see the headline news and you think, Oh, I already know the article. I don't even have to read it. And so then you just start spreading the news of the article. And then it isn't until somebody said, did you actually read that thing? Cause the thing you're saying isn't the thing that's in that article. Right. Or, right. or you see a meme and the meme sounds like it, it could be really legit. And so then you start spreading the meme and it's not until you get called out by somebody and you go back and look at it. You're like, Oh, that's not they're exactly like, what happened. Or <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of that a little bit further. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that went wrong. I got, uh, why do I have 75 notice notifications on my stuff after I shared that last night and went to sleep? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that is so true. It's, yeah, it even happened yeah. to us on the Llama Lounge. We had um, an article and it's one of the most popular articles that we had and uh, Scott and I were talking about it and it's titled, Some People Need, people to, get need to Get at. Shot Right. And, um, and he was the the author a good friend of mine wrote it and he was saying that until he was actually shot at he didn't realize how the importance of his training because they all survived you know they got out the, the situation but somebody literally came up to me as like well don't you feel it's irresponsible to put an article talking about people deserve to get shot at on your site and i'm like did you but, read the article? Not, <laughs> some people don't deserve to get shot. They deserve to get shot at. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, deserve and need are two different things. And I think you needed to read the article before you made a comment on it, right? Yes. I mean, we are some of the worst about today. Like just 
-hmm. everybody wants the 123 characters or less. It's like immediately, mm -hmm. let me just see what's in the headline. It doesn't matter what the meat of the message actually is. And you're like, right. mm -hmm. but the meat of the message probably elaborated better than that headline ever could, right? Like, right. did you get in it? And so, yeah, there's a lot of people that, do you remember that old ESPN commercial where the guy was talking out of his butt and his pants would always be like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I vaguely remember Joe, that. Joe, because he had no idea. Joe wasn't allowed to stay up late enough to watch that. Or... <laughs> hey, by the way, it was gummy bears. I just looked it up. It was gummy bears on the Disney afternoon. <laughs> I had never watched the Disney afternoon. We didn't have Disney didn't afternoon. <laughs> exactly. When I used to watch Disney Channel, it was like Mickey Mouse was still black and white. It was a big deal when Minnie Mouse had red like bloomers on. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh man. This is just like it left off last time. We were all together. <laughs> I do miss you guys. Yeah, we miss you too. So uh, let me ask the two of you, right? Uh oh, so oh wait, 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 that's not how this works. That's <laughs> not how this works. No, my turn. <laughs> okay, all right, my go ahead. turn. Go ahead. So in the civilian sector, do you see a lot of people that get frustrated with lack of standard, with lack of direction and guidance? Because at least some of the stories I hear about people that are working in civilian sector, there's a lot of what is appears to be free for all, at least in the, the minds of the military member who hated all of the structure and direction when they, but as soon as they were out of it, it was like, there's no structure and no direction. You're like, I think right. you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. So what do you see? So I see, uh, and so I can tell you for my, my current position, I am super fortunate and I'm not just saying that because I think my boss might be listening, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm, he might be, I actually ran into, ran into him in the grocery store earlier. Um, I'm super fortunate that I have a boss who, um, he's, he's a retired Navy. And so he's a retired Navy officer. And so he and I kind of click, you know, we, we hit on the same cylinders a lot, but he, I, I, I wish, uh, in a lot of cases, and that's sort of become my mission over the past couple of years, is to get that military-style leadership. And I'm not talking about directive and not trying to, you know, have everyone, you know, rank and file, but that that type of culture where there's a leadership vision, there's a leadership mm -hmm. philosophy. Because I've seen in in so far in my time, there's a lot of organizations that just don't have that, right? And so if you don't have that leadership vision, that leadership philosophy people don't know where to fall in line. They don't know what their, you know, what their overall mission is supposed to be. And so I've, I've worked in organizations where people just kind of came to work and they didn't care if there were standards, they didn't care if there was, you know, direction, they just came and did their thing and went home. Um, but I've also worked with people in those organizations who said, man, I, I just wish there was more clarity. I wish there was more communication. And so that's where I've, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in a position now where I get to uh, do consultation with a lot of organizations that like, hey, we need leadership development and we need communication training and we need, you know, to learn some of these things. So I, I, I've seen it. Some organizations do it real well. And I've seen some that, you know, they, they just don't do it that well at all. Um, but, you know, fortunately, a lot of my um, clients that I work with are like in the oil and field industry. So they have some serious standards that they got, you know, some compliance safety issues that they have to deal with. But uh, as far as the rest of it, we talked about this before, what happens off work is no one's business, 
right? Mm. You know, and, and so we, we've talked about this where it's like, I haven't had a safety briefing in five years. You know, <laughs> is that a good thing? Or? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, like, no, I've had like a weekend safety briefing, I should say, you know, like a three day, uh, four day. Now, so, now, a lot of organizations, they do safety briefings, obviously, because of the, the type of work they're in. But um, I see now that I've transitioned from military to civilian, I can see where the civilian world would greatly benefit from a lot of the philosophies and, and policies that the military uh, uses. But I also see where the military is adopting a lot of what the the innovation and those type of things that mm-hmm. are coming from mm-hmm. the, the civilian world too. But um, I, I can say that communication and standards would be a lot more clear if there's just a little bit more of that leadership style that I know that we're familiar with uh, being implemented. Good. Yeah, that's great. I, I just often wonder about it because, you know, I'm institutionalized. I've done this my whole life. And so yeah. part of the idea of walking out the door and joining you, you folks on the other <laughs> side, it's, it's yeah. frightening. And so you often have to wonder like, what's it like out there? Well, and, and, yeah. I, and I'll tell you this, when I, I was interviewing for a job, I was, work, I was with an organization and they, and they wanted to promote me to a new position, uh, a more senior position. And they said, well, we know you've worked in the military for a long time. And uh, how would you, uh, you know, kind of wrangle these people? How would you uh, lead these people? Because, you know, they're civilians. You can't really treat them like they're military members. And I'm like, they all have hearts. They all breathe. They all, people are people. So whether they're wearing a uniform, whether they're wearing scrubs, whether they're, they're wearing, uh, you know, a business attire, people are people. And if you can connect with them uh, at the heart level, then that's going to make you a great leader. And, and that's something that I wanted to bring up with you, Hope, because I know, for instance, Chief Wright, I remember when he was selected for Chief Master in the Air Force, everyone was like, a dental tech? He's a dental tech. What does he know about the operations world? And he is the, like the most positive, the most influential, like everyone is like praising uh, uh, Chief Wright. And, and I could see the same thing happening with your career, Hope, because again, you started off doing a lot of medical uh, but then you're transitioning. Now you're in, you know, special operations wing. So uh, how do, do you, can you relate to that at all? That, that kind of uh, idea of people are people and regardless of what their functional badge is, there's a way to connect with them. No, I think, I think you're spot on there because in the medical field, I mean, there's a lot that goes into being a caregiver. And so even if you're not inherently uh, thoughtful, it'll be forced on you because after you either get so many bad critiques from patients or um, patients choose not to deal with you, eventually that's going to affect your career. And so you have to, to change whatever it is you're doing and it grows on you over time. But I'll tell you the place where I probably learned more of my care and compassion, which is going to sound like an oxymoron was in basic training. Yeah. Um, because I, I guess I had, I had always just imagined, you know, sort of, that every problem, you know, the old adage, every problem's a nail, right? Because it, I just didn't have a huge scope working in the medical field. I was always pretty, you know, binary. Um, and so then when I had the opportunity to go to BMT, I would see that like, if I yelled at that airman, he would do it. But if I yelled at that airman, he would sit down and cross his arms and look at me like I had a couch going out of my neck. And, um, but if I, if I told this airman, I'm really disappointed in you. And then I told that airman I was disappointed in him, he'd be like, so what? Right. And so I started to realize that you couldn't get what you wanted out of every recruit with the same tool. And so, um, that was about the time that basic training started making all the 
military training instructors go through the Myers-Briggs testing so that you could mm -hmm. understand sort of your personality type. And it wasn't just so that you could understand typing. It was so that you could understand your weaknesses, um, but also so that you could understand the variances in, in how so many differences existed in other people. And I was like, oh, so the whole the old adage different strokes for different folks couldn't have been more true because I started to realize that if I, if I guilt tripped that one, if I mommed that one, if I hollered at that one, and if I gave the cold shoulder to that one, I could get the same thing I wanted out of all of them, but I had to get to know them well enough to, to make any of that true. Yeah. That's Joe, I got a question right. for you. Yeah. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so having known you for all the time that I've known you, I've had the opportunity to watch you do all the different trainings that were offered at the Airmen and Family Readiness Center and then to go on to be, you know, a chief. And man, you did it in like record time. I mean, I'm thinking like <laughs> I had bread that didn't rise between the time you made technical sergeant and chief. And so, <laughs> and so I, you can't I see it, but he's actually blushing folks. <laughs> <laughs> But I watched you over the course of the years, like, I mean, just steadfast leadership and development and leadership and development. And here's the thing you're teaching and the courses that you're involved in and leadership and development. And I think to myself, like, I know why I've done a lot of the things I've done, why I got involved in teaching emotional intelligence and four lenses. Part of it was selfish. Like I wanted to know more about me so that I could understand how I needed to change in order to better lead people. Why did you, why have you been so dedicated to leadership and development over the course of time? Was there any selfish drive kind of like mine or was it all strictly like out I told him to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scott told me to, <laughs> no, you know what it is. I think, um, I, I tell people, a lot of people that, um, when I was, uh, I started off in the civil engineer career field and I'm back in it now, but, um, you know, I was really driven by achievement and, um, and unfortunately I was able to get promoted pretty quickly because of the way I was able to execute mission and do those things. But, um, I didn't really find my meaning and purpose in life until I started working at the AFRC because when I worked at the Airmen and Family Readiness Center, I realized that I was happy helping other people improve and helping myself. And of course, I always wanted to try to make myself better too. And they kind of both go go both hand in hand. You know, if you're learning something and you teach it to somebody, then you learn it even better yourself. Right. But helping other people and just see the, um, the light bulb go off and just making, how oh, it sounds really cliche, but just helping people become better human beings. Um, it kind it just, it makes me feel like life is worthwhile. And that's why, um, I pour so much into it. I, I love doing it. And the cool thing about it is I get to do that whether I'm a CE superintendent or another career field or whatever it is, because we as a military, we do so well at, you know, arming and growing our people. And um, that's the reason why I love doing it. And that's why I want to keep doing this until they tell me I have to leave. <laughs> I, it just makes me feel good inside. And so in that way, it is selfish. It is selfish because it makes me feel good doing it. <laughs> No, that's good. You know, I've just always been curious at it because I'm like, man, he is tenacious at that, like never ending. And then watching the two of you always, let's create this new thing so that we can develop other people. Let's create this new thing and share thought. Let's stop allowing people to hoard their skills and their expertise. Let's get people to to bring the stuff out of the closet and hang it all up so people can pick from it what they need and use. And I've, I've just really adored that about both of you. 
Oh, thanks. thank you so much. Yeah. So I'm the reason why Scott does it. So <laughs> I keep him motivated. I'm his beacon. <laughs> so, so and you know what though? I think, I think it's the other way around. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. This is my back still kind of hurt in pain right now, but, <laughs> but we're going to keep on making sure that that sticks. Joe, <laughs> Joe, Joe, it's resistance yeah. training. It's good for you. Yeah, thanks. That that's why. <laughs> Every, everything so, I do is for the betterment of Joe. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. You're such a great mentor. What I do. <laughs> but um, hey, Hope. So since you asked us a couple questions, we usually like to wrap these up with what we call the leadership rapid fire. So we're going to give you a series of four <laughs> questions. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> All right. Right. All right. Question number one: What is your favorite leadership trait? Uh, well, so can I cheat? Yeah. And can I morph two to? I want to morph two together. Are you gonna Are you gonna hyphenate the word? Or are yeah. you gonna make it like one? <laughs> <laughs> what What is your favorite leadership trait? Parentheses S. <laughs> well, so I think that consistency and character are probably my mm. two favorite, and I don't know how to blend the two together, but I think that. It's kind of like grading packages. It doesn't matter if you're a curmudgeon or a Santa Claus. As long as you're the same with every single thing you grade, you're going to be consistent, right? right. But I right. think it doesn't matter how much zest you have, how honest you are, how loyal you are, how many friends you have. I think that at the very end of the day, character is going to matter the very most because you might have a ton of skills, but be a complete jerk face um, and nobody's going to care what you have to say. They're not going to follow you. They're not going to want to follow you. They're probably going to wish bad of you. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, consistency and character would, would, if, if those two could be the same or mixed together somehow there. So I cheated. I give you two. Character. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no. I love to make right. up my own words. So thank you for that. Steve. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right, Scott. Here we go. <laughs> Question number two. What is your favorite quote? Uh, so I have a couple of them. Uh, one of them I actually we go picked again. up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> one of them I picked up during the Airmen and Family Readiness Center's teaching me the seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and it says nobody cares how much you know um, until they know how much you care. Like I have always loved that. And I think it goes back to that character piece um, that I just talked mm -hmm. about. But I, I think the other one that I really find that I've loved for a long time is find out why fences were put up before you try to tear them down, right? Because mm -hmm. even though we all have a lot of great ideas, when we walk in the door, it's mine. I want to do what I want to do with it. You have to understand that someone might be helping you by already having stopped a flood. So don't yeah. don't mm -hmm. go pulling the spike out of the dam until you know why why that's there. That's a good one. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now I'm sure you're gonna add one or two more to the the next question, which is what is the number one book for an aspiring leader? The number one book that you would recommend to an aspiring leader. She's, She's like, about can, can I name six? Books. Can I name six? <laughs> I'm like, I don't have just one. <laughs> can I really give two? <laughs> sure. It, 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 cannot, it cannot be the Little Brown Book. Okay. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I was going to go all the way back to the PFE. And <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, 
no. So I think the one that I really like, I only learned about probably in the last four years. Um, it's called Message to Garcia. Um, and it it's a pretty great book. Uh, my MAGCOM command chief actually showed it to me um, when I had visited out at Hurlburt. It's pretty great. And it's a short read. I mean, it's one of the oldest leadership books. And it was handed out to armies across the world in a lot of different um nations and formations and it literally i'm not going to give it up for you i'm going to make you go read it and then i'll ask you later what it was but awesome. message to garcia it is wonderful she's, she's going to start her own podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right um no and then the other one i really like is called the happiness hypothesis um and i think it, it comes in this series of books so there's the happiness hypothesis the coddling of the american mind and um mm. the righteous mind why good people are divided by politics and religion but those two are, are second thoughts in my opinion but the happiness hypothesis and it really just talks about the the how you get after your own happy um and so there that's why i bounce around all the time scott i have my own happy hey there very, you go there you go this is very cool and i think scott also noticed that she actually fit in more than even two books in that by sneaking yeah, yeah. those other two <laughs> in the series. <laughs> All right. So I got the last, <laughs> the last question. All right. How What's your fondest you find... memory of Joe and myself? Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> I have no idea. I think that's pretty broad because I really enjoy spending time with you guys. Like, I feel like it's always your cheeks hurt because you're laughing all the time. I, I don't, I don't have a specific, you would make, this would be a long list. <laughs> okay. That wasn't actually your last question. Scott just wanted to know, but <laughs> the last question is how do you find your harmony between life learning and leadership? Cause that's what the Lama Lounge is all about. Life learning and leadership. So harmony for me is, it's kind of hard because I tend to spend a lot more time learning, at least in my opinion. Um, I, there's a lot of things that I've realized over time I just don't know. Um, but you don't know what you don't know until you run into it. And so I spend a lot of time learning, which is my life, hence this, this room. This is the turn on the lights, you know, sit in my little chair and read, which, which is sort of my life. It's my relaxation. It's my fun. It's my learning. And I think that putting all of those things together helps me be more humble, helps me remember who I am and where I started and where I'm coming from. And then try to lend that to other people that it's okay to not know that it's okay to still be learning, that it's okay to be a command chief and be lost at certain things. And so I think um, that that's where the leadership piece comes in. So it all kind of melds together in the, I'm learning. I feel like I have a lot. I don't know. I've had the opportunity to go to the, the top enlisted PMEs, both on the Air Force side and on the soft side here recently, Keystone and Summit respectively. And I will tell you, I didn't know there was so much I didn't know. And so there's just been a lot of learning going on in my, in my life as of late. And it's just made me realize that there's just too much to know um, to ever tell yourself you're done with learning. So I think, I don't know, but I think my learning side of, of that uh, trifecta is, is just a little bigger than the other two. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Thank you so much, Hope. I mean, it was great seeing you, talking to you for a little bit more. And uh, as, as you move on to uh, your next job, it would be awesome if we could get you, get you back on here again and, yeah. and chat and see how we've all evolved even a little bit more. 
I would absolutely love that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Hope. And um, thank you to all our listeners. Um, you know, as always, be safe, stay healthy, and the llamas are out. Tell Justin we love them. Thanks for listening to the show. We'd love for you to connect with us at www.llama-leadership.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash llama leadership and also on Instagram at llama leaders. And a big thanks to Mike Whitmer for the music. To check out more of this stuff, go to soundcloud.com slash Mike Whitmer. Thanks again. See you on the next episode.